Welcome to Recovery Devon Podcasts. We're a community interest company working to support mental health recovery in Devon. Our podcasts invite people with ideas of all kinds which explore mental health and what it means to be fully human. This podcast is called Out of Our Minds. We use the expression out of our minds to mean that we've gone mad or been driven to distraction by something infuriating. And driven to distraction is another interesting phrase. Why have we become so fixed on the idea that we need to be in our minds and free of distraction in order to be well? In this podcast, I'll look at the idea of being out of our minds and ask if that isn't in many ways a healthy place to be, and if maybe we could use being a little more distracted. I want to focus on two ways of being out of our minds. The first is getting away from familiar everyday thinking and being in our imagination instead. The second sense is one of seeing ourselves as part of the world rather than as a separate person, to be of the world, not just in it, and to see ourselves less as a brain that gets carried around by a body and more as a meeting point, a place where we and other people come together. We'll come back to that odd thought later. Let's start with a look at imagination and something that will be familiar to most of us, being bored at school. Sitting in the classroom, the dull murmur of our teacher in our ears, many of us found ourselves staring out of the window in class, lost in thought. Wonderful things could happen here. Fixed on the sky, we might see ourselves as birds or dragons, superheroes saving the world. We might travel to space or enchanted forests, or simply imagine we were brave enough to get a snog behind the bike sheds with our secret crush. We could sometimes stare without any thoughts at all. Not all these daydreams were profound. Yet some of them were fabulous exercises, stretching our brains, getting out of our minds to dream of possibilities greater than the unbearable boredom of being stuck in a classroom, doing algebra while the sun shone outside. Despite the benefits of this mind-stretching, the teacher's response was always the same. Pay attention, stop daydreaming, get your work done. Lessons were not a place for freedom of thought. Even in art classes and creative writing, the imagination wasn't free. It had to work within the rules of what the art teacher thought was good art, or the English teacher decided was good writing. Today the curriculum has become even more fact-based. Math, science and English are king. Art, sports and music often cut all together. We've become obsessed with measuring things, and schools must show what they do, give concrete statistics and figures that demonstrate their success. The only way to do this is to measure our children how effectively they think, how much they remember, how well they do sums, how fit they are to fulfil their role in the world. And the only way to measure these things is to standardise them, make everyone learn and do the same tasks, to remove all uncertainty, variety and difference in the curriculum. To make children measurable, we create identical systems of learning, identical homework, identical exams, so that we can compare and analyse. Schoolwork is about learning tricks, adding numbers, spotting a verb or noun, naming some queens and wars. Arts are cut, sports are cut, music is cut. It's all about core skills. There's little room for imagination because imagination cannot be measured or quantified. And in this way, our children's minds are made solid, no longer squishy and flexible and fun. Kids are locked into hard facts and formula and not allowed out of these concrete minds. The result of this fact-based learning is a lack of actual thinking. To solve riddles, Answer life's problems, write a good story, takes an agile mind. If your mind's used to jumping cartwheels and doing gymnastics, going to weird and wonderful places, well, it can easily juggle and juggle its way around some new problems. Being imaginative actually helps with being rational. The arts help us solve sciences. By closing the imagination through our education system, 
They're also making people worse scientists, accountants and engineers. Imagination persists and it will come out if it can. It survives in some of us despite the battle, but it must battle. And even though millions of people love music, art, film, dance, even though the value of imagination is seen everywhere, still, because we cannot measure it, we do not teach it, we do not nurture it. And until it can turn a profit, we do not value it. In place of imagination, there are rules. Growing up is very much an exercise in closing down the imagination and accepting that there is only one world, the world of jobs, mortgages, marriage, and being an obedient citizen. We do need rules. Without them, there would be only chaos. To play a game of chess requires rules, yet there are billions of possible chess scenarios. To play music requires rules, yet the variety of classical pop, rock, trap, opera, and more is seemingly infinite. Rules are not the enemy, but they must be algorithms. They must allow flexibility and change. When it comes to our everyday lives, however, we've created so many inflexible rules that there is now little game left. No play outside of following those rules. No safe space to get out of our minds. When we are in our imaginations, we are picturing worlds, scenarios, possibilities that lie inside and outside of ourselves. As a consciousness, we are not separated from the world, but a part of the whole tapestry. We are not limited by what we can do, instead anything becomes possible. If we need to travel, we can dream up a giant bird to take us anywhere. If we need to build a whole city, we can dream up a team of engineers to help us. And if we are stuck with a problem, we can dream up any kind of genius to help solve it. Naturally, if we wish to make our dreams real, in the actual world, we can't just wish them into being. However, once the dream has occurred to us, it can ignite a passion that drives us to learn and to act. Dreams are the start of the journey, the inspiration behind inventions, social movements and breakthroughs in art and culture. Our flights of fancy are not useless distractions. They're the games we play that let us sneak up on problems, come at them from strange new angles, invent solutions never seen before. Facts are helpful in developing answers, but not enough on their own to spark the original idea. So let's briefly look at science, a world often portrayed as cold, rational and exact, to see that imagination is vital even here. Many of us view scientists as clever people, who learn all sorts of maths, physics, chemistry and biology, and then use this knowledge to methodically answer questions. Everything is planned, every step logical, and all of it's based on fact. But is this really how it works? While some problems can be solved this way, most major scientific breakthroughs do not happen like this at all. They're accidents, chance thoughts, eureka moments found during times of distraction. In the book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, Thomas Kuhn breaks the myth of science as a deliberate and orderly pursuit. He gives many examples of where inventions were accidental, where discoveries were at first considered undesirable results and discarded, and where breakthroughs were repeatedly rejected by scientists who preferred the existing supposed truth. Newton's discoveries were rejected by many for decades. Einstein's theory of relativity was dismissed, and in turn Einstein refused to accept quantum theory because God does not play dice with the universe. Of course there is a method, intelligence and rigour to science, yet it's in moments of distraction, of going outside of their usual thinking, that the magic happens, and once a breakthrough is achieved it isn't simply celebrated by everyone and added to the list of stuff we know. The truth is often rejected by science at first. When you've spent years being told that the world works one way, it's hard to let go of that and accept that you've been wrong. Without the learning, moments of inspiration could not happen. But without the moments of inspiration, the learning becomes a cage. Learning doesn't just describe our world. It creates and limits it. 
Even in the world of science, we occasionally need to stare out of the window and imagine. It appears that for genius to happen, we must take our learning, let it cook in the brain, jiggle it about a bit, and wait for it to sort of fall into place on its own. Getting out of our minds, then, is an important step in breaking away from established belief, enabling us to see a truth that has been hidden by the walls of what we take for granted. In a fairly basic outline, we've looked at the way our taming of the imagination is actually stopping us from seeing alternatives, different ways we might solve problems, including the problem of how to live well. We've built this world in one way, with countries, rulers, queens, presidents, money, property, jobs, wars, and have now come to see it as the only way, the only possible structure of society. It makes the majority of people on this planet unhappy, and yet we can see no alternative to it. We need to bring back imagination to solve problems like this. So let's move on to that strange notion of people as meeting points. In this view, people do not exist as individuals, but as a locus of several minds coming together. To explain what this means, it may be easier to look at how we currently see ourselves, and then open up this new idea of selfhood. So in modern times, we're told that this life is our life. We create it, and we can be whatever we dream of. Success is ours to grasp, our life is ours to shape. We can have anything if we work hard enough. Most of us believe this to some extent, even though it's self-evidently not true. And because of this idea, we dream of success and spend entire lives trying to find it. We focus hard on our homework, and later on our actual work, and on managing the bills and responsibilities at home. To do this, we have to rein ourselves in, quite literally. Our concentration has to be switched on constantly. We pull ourselves into our heads so that we can put our minds on the task of winning at life. Yet life is not one person's work. To succeed, we must have help. To be part of a group effort. To get a job, there must be a company someone else has made that offers jobs. To start a company, you need a bank loan or rich parents, a good business partner, customers, suppliers and more. And all of this can only work because it fits into the wider web of commerce, which was built by hundreds and thousands of people. It's maintained by billions. We need each other and all the things we have made. Nothing is ever achieved alone. There's a second, more fundamental problem here. What does success even mean? And how, therefore, can we make a successful life? Currently, almost the only universal measures of success are money, power and fame. Does this seem right? If a baby grows up to be a child soldier in a military dictatorship and one day becomes a general, have they been a success? They have power, but is this a good thing? More or less rejected all his life, was Picasso a failure? He is now considered a genius, but his paintings haven't changed since he died. What about scientists who contribute to our progress? Here's another tricky idea. We often say we're making progress, but progress to where? Where are we going as individuals? Where are we going as the human race? Was the atom bomb really progress? The combustion engine seemed like a great idea, but it turns out it's been destroying our planet for decades. So unless we know the destination, how can we be sure we're making progress, rather than just making a mess? If we don't really know what progress is, and we really don't, how can we know what success is? What we actually have is a game we've invented, with rules we've made up, and criteria for success that only make sense in that game. Currently you can be considered successful if you help destroy the planet, as long as that makes you lots of money. 
So what kind of messed up idea of success is that? All of our systems, economics, politics, and religion, are all built by people, directed by people, and none of them really knows where we're going or what the whole point of this life or this world is. This might seem bleak or even frightening, but it's actually quite liberating. Yes, it means we don't know where we're going, but it also means we're free to change. There is nothing in this world, no solid object, no absolute truth, that means we have to live this way or any other. We're absolutely free to decide to live a different way, to rebuild all our systems or even get rid of them completely. Life then is a cooperative effort lived in a somewhat random direction because we have no idea why we're here. So what does that mean for mental health? If we do not make ourselves, then we do not make our minds. They are shaped by the whole world around us. Millions who came before us made our homes, towns, religions, language, arts, schools, the rules for success and failure. And then we're born into a town we don't choose, into a family we don't choose, into a language we don't choose, and so on. And yet where we are, how we speak, who we're with, all of this shapes every thought we have. Our thoughts shape who we become, our beliefs, personality, joys and sorrows. And at no point then are we an individual, at no time are we independent. This too may seem bleak, like we're not in control of our lives, but in fact it's really beautiful. Let's use music as an analogy to see why. If you learn to play guitar, you can make all manner of music, but unless you learn the same tuning, scales and chords as other people, you won't be able to play with them. If you resolutely tune your guitar your own unique way, then to everyone else it's likely to sound weird, incomprehensible or just noise. You might enjoy it, but you'll probably do so alone. If you accept the standard tuning, however, then you can join a band. And while playing solo is great, being part of something bigger is even better. By accepting sensible rules, you can now achieve amazing things. The difference is that while these rules are very strict, they're also very flexible. You can actually tune the guitar a hundred different ways. There's so much room for individual expression. As long as you conform to the standard scale, you can still play with others. If I stick with the notes A to G and their sharps and flats, I can tune my guitar any way I like. It means my hands make different shapes in order to play the chords, so therefore I can play my own way. But the notes and chords still harmonise with all the other instruments, so I can play with others. As people, we're likewise notes in a scale. We're not truly individual, independent or free. And why would we want to be? As absolute individuals, we would be a noisy, incomprehensible mess. Instead, we're in a song, and we'll find a way to harmonise or syncopate, to join the rhythm or the melody, whatever part we grow to feel at home in. The song will shape how we can be ourselves, but it also makes being ourselves possible in the first place. We will each be unique in some way, play our own notes, our own part, yet we will not have chosen the song, the scale, or that we play at all, and that's okay. In this view, then, we're not single people with our own fixed, unchanging selves, meeting other fixed people. Instead, who we are depends on who we are with. I can be an A major chord. Put me in a rock song and I'm cool and dangerous. Put me in a classical piece and I'm elegant. Put me in a nursery rhyme and I'm simple fun. All the time, I'm the same A major chord. But myself, it changes completely depending on the song I'm in, the people I'm with. 
without the band, I make little sense at all. With an understanding of ourselves as part of a group, we can shape a new approach to our mental health. Currently, when we feel unwell, be it depression, anxiety or any of our modern mental health conditions, we're taught to look to ourselves for answers. Psychotherapy will sit us in a chair and try and help us to find our own solutions through objective questioning. A life coach will do a similar thing, save that they may also encourage us to more active pursuits or money management, achievable career goals. New Age thinking often looks to our inner child or tells us that our struggles are actually illusions. But even so, these illusions are the ones we are said to hold and that we must lose. With all these approaches to mental health, the object of scrutiny is you, your mind and how to fix it. If we fix ourselves instead as a member of the human orchestra, things change. As part of a collective effort, a unified and harmonic society, who we are and what we feel is only some part of ourselves, and a lot more is the result of who we are with, the world we inhabit. Perhaps we are considered too high-pitched, but rather than look to fixing ourselves, we could simply move from the oboe section to the piccolos, where we fit in nicely. Maybe we're too sombre. Then a move from violins to cellos makes sense. Are we mentally in tune? The question is no longer just about our pitch, but about everyone's pitch. If I query my tuning in a band rehearsal, it almost always prompts everyone to check their own instrument. Only once everyone is sure that they are in tune can I be sure that I am. There's no need for anger or shyness, blame or therapy if someone is not in pitch, just a group checkup to see which string needs adjusting. When it comes to the mind, it is very difficult to tune yourself. Trying to see your own mind is like trying to lick your own elbow. If you sit alone and just hope you remember the note, you can try and tune yourself, but you only know if you've got it right when you're with other people. What we call sane is equally elusive. It isn't something one person can decide on and tune themselves to. Mental health is like music. You can only know you're in tune if you're in tune with others. This offers a different approach to mental health, one in which instead of looking to heal ourselves, or looking into ourselves for answers, we look to our connections. Our concern shifts from how and who we are to how our friends are. We get out of our own mind. Wellness then is not individual, just as people are not individuals. Instead we ask, is this band playing music I love? Or is this society creating good things that I love? Am I making notes that add to the tune? Or am I helping this society do good things? We are well when our community is well. So let us take a look for a moment at authenticity. This is a common belief that we should strive to be our real selves wherever we go. We should always be true to our hearts, honest with ourselves and our friends. But does authenticity actually make sense? Our true self is only found when we are with others, and we've seen that we are a different person with every other person we meet. This goes against our common sense notion of being oneself, having a fixed identity over time, sometimes over our whole lives. However, this idea of the fixed self is deeply flawed. The struggle to be authentic, to be who we really are, should not be a struggle to be a consistent person. We can be ourselves with no pretense or disguise and yet still be different from moment to moment. We can be many people and still be authentically ourselves. 
As before, while I'm always in a major chord, what this means, how it sounds, will change depending on the music playing, the people around me. It makes no sense to ask, who am I? Because I am so much made up of who I am with. Fixing my sound only means I cannot mix. We're not separate individuals. We are notes in a song. We blend with others to become something more, something else. This is why connection is so vital, because we are not fully ourselves when we're alone. This is why the idea of a fixed me, a static identity, is so damaging, because it leaves us chasing some notion of ourselves that doesn't exist. We'd do well to release this need to be authentic and instead be musical, connected and in play. Since me is the result of several minds meeting, me will be different in every situation. Every mind we meet makes a different note, and together we make a different chord or melody. What then is the point of trying to work out who we are? It's rather like spending a whole life studying the rules of music and never actually playing or even listening to a song. We are as we live, not a fixed point, but something always in motion. A better question might be to ask what we are a part of. Understanding ourselves as only one note in a chord changes the idea of personal mental health. If our friend is off key, we cannot mix properly. If I'm out of tune, we'll make a noise, not a harmony. In this case, it isn't up to any one of us to fix ourselves, it's up to all of us to see if we're in tune, if our emotional pitch is right. Mental health is a group thing, a social reality. If someone is unwell, the whole group takes the chance to see if they are making good music. If one person's out of tune, it's recognised that the orchestra cannot play as well, and it's in everyone's interest to help that person tune up. This also throws light on a question many of us have asked. How can we be mentally well in a sick world? Well, of course we cannot. But while we look at ourselves as individuals, it's our job, each one of us, to heal ourselves, to be right and well, to be in our right minds. We are encouraged to ask where we as individuals are going wrong and set ourselves right. We have seen that the idea of achieving anything alone is nonsense, that we need the structures other people make, the help of friends, the skills of experts to make anything happen. You can't get a job if no one employs people, or even be self-employed without customers, or do any of it without an economy. The same is true for mental health. Imagining that we can individually care for our own mental health in an unhealthy world is like imagining you can sit among a million howling violins, all playing off-key, and still tune your own violin by ear. All you can do is grow deaf to the noise so that it doesn't bother you as much, otherwise known as being a sociopath. This works. You can be successful by the broken measures of this world if you stay deaf to the noise Many world leaders are just this kind of sociopathic and look at the terrible things they're doing. Good mental health is not an individual exercise, it is a group project. The majority of mental ill health is not down to millions of individual broken people, it's down to the broken society they live in. We are educated to become creatures of facts who do not think too much and who hold ourselves responsible for whatever success or failure we meet in life. We close down our imagination, decide upon a fixed idea of who we are, and when being locked in this claustrophobic notion of self makes us unhappy, we pay for a therapist to numb us to it all and help us conform again. Our focus on individualism has separated us from each other. When we feel out of tune, we go to a specialised room and try and retune. But retune to what? When we separate therapy from everyday life, we can't tune in to our peers because they are not there. The therapist instead tries to retune us to the music of the world, to whatever music the world of therapy has decided we should all dance to. 
But that music is composed out of our diseased notions of success and individualism. It is a psychopathic waltz. In modern society, it can actually hurt to try and tune to the wider cultural idea of self. All the values and aims of our society are based on the broken systems of economics, politics and culture, which are themselves out of tune. By being in an objective therapy, we're not retuned to some perfect pitch, but tuned to suit the shattered music of our time. Far from being back to our ideal tune, we're only made more able to tolerate the awful noise of living. So let us get out of our minds and put our care and compassion towards the minds around us instead. Mental health is not about having a mind that can be made well, it is about having a world which nurtures wellness. We have considered the way in which imagination is closed down and how we are made to see ourselves as separate people. This leaves us approaching problems with little creativity, inflexible minds and as a competitive process against everyone else. When we struggle, we are held responsible for our failures and left to repair our supposedly broken brains to work out why we just don't get it. This podcast suggests that we need to reimagine ourselves as much more fundamentally connected that our very selves, who we are, is not a fixed thing, but always being created with others. It is always in motion, always changing. One of the biggest problems with this view is that it can be accused of begging the question. Our current systems are broken, but am I not just proposing that we replace one system with another? And how then are we to make sure that this new system isn't broken as well? Our current idea of progress is damaged, but if so, how on earth do we decide what healthy success is? What is our new concert pitch? How do we choose the standard tuning we want for our world? If the priorities, measures for success and ideas about mental health are currently wrong, what is right? I cannot answer that question alone because the whole point is that this should be a group project. However, here is a broad proposal. It seems likely that we do not know what the universe is here for, or if it is even here for anything. We don't know why humans are on earth freak accident of evolution? The result of aliens seeding the planet. A super species whose destiny is to transcend physical form and join the stars. Or just a lump of carbon with no purpose at all. We cannot know. In which case, what can we know? We know that living this way is killing the earth. We know that current systems make more people unhappy than they make happy. We know that real joy most often comes from being with others. Even a solo musician doesn't just play at the audience. A gentle alchemy happens, where energy feeds in both directions. They don't play alone, they play with the crowd. If we are to choose a new direction, perhaps it is a direction of not going anywhere. Rather than being concerned with progress, we can be concerned with each other. Some effort must go to practical things, fixing the climate, keeping us fed and warm. But the underlying purpose of this can be about creating a world where people are content. I carefully avoid using the word happy here, because happiness isn't all it's cracked up to be. A perfect world isn't one where everybody is happy all the time. That would be a bit of a nightmare. Pain is part of living and learning. Rather than some empty utopia or eternal happiness, we want a world where people feel like they are able to be fully human, fully themselves, in whatever commingled, jingle, jangled, tuneful way that is. So rather than housing and feeding us so we can work to make money, Rather than progress being measured in how many new things we can make money with. Rather than success being measured in how much more we own than everyone else. Can we look to success being measured by how deeply we connect? How many we connect with? And of vital importance, how well we connect with the earth. 
to begin to treat our planet like a precious home, not just a bunch of resources to monetize and burn. A good future is one in which we become part of the human orchestra. We are already comfortable. We have homes and running water, the internet, easy food. Perhaps the wise choice now is to say that this is enough to consolidate, to put further progress on hold. We've had the Stone Age, the Industrial Age, the Age of Technology. Perhaps we can make this the century of healing and connection and welcome in the Human Age. This is my call then, for us to get out of our minds, away from thinking about ourselves, especially as individuals. Since we're all notes in the same song, we're all affected when one of us is out of tune. Let's turn our focus outwards then to those around us and ask if they are well and if there's anything we can do to help them. It does seem important to add a footnote to this podcast. These are my own thoughts, and I stand by them. However, we do not live in the world of connection that I describe. We live in this world. It can be very difficult and lonely in this world. This world is one of a huge amount of disconnection. Being on medication or in therapy is not a failure, and for many, it is essential in staying well. These are the tools we have in the world as things stand. And while I don't imagine my ideas are going to lead to everyone throwing their prescriptions away or refusing therapy overnight, but they might make you question the value of how you experience and treat your well-being. This is a good thing. We should always question, gently, to make sure we're still in tune. And maybe you'll find you wish to make changes, but if you do, I'd urge you to make them slowly. Be kind to yourself. Connect with people. Don't make your journey alone. Make it with people who can support you and help you see when you're on the right or wrong path. I wish you the best, wherever you are, and wherever you decide to go next. Thank you for listening. If you have ideas which explore mental health, directly or in imaginative ways, perhaps you'd like to create our next podcast. If you don't know how, or don't have any equipment for recording, we'll do what we can to help. Simply contact us. Our email is community at recoverydevon.co.uk. Recovery Devon is a community interest company supported by the Devon Partnership Trust.